Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, we're going to go to chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll read verses 8 through 10. We do have a lot to be thankful for as a church in many different ways. Uh, God is clearly taking care of us during these uh, very crazy times. Uh, we'll continue to try and communicate as much as we can as far as uh, if there's any changes. But right now, uh, our, our plan is to still continue to go uh, slowly move back to normal uh, with next week. We'll have the split services again at 930 and 11. We'll broadcast again at 11. Uh, but I believe next week is when we will add in our evening service. So that'll start next week. Let me go ahead and pray with you and we'll get into the message. Father, thank you so much again for the care that you have shown to us as a church. And now I just pray you would give us ears to hear and hearts that can understand. Give us eyes to see. And Lord, I pray you would bless this time together to your glory, to the praise of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you maybe you caught it at the end of last week's sermon, I mentioned that my desire for the next uh, 12 weeks or so, although we're going to get interrupted, uh, is to take uh, or talk about some men and women from church history. Now, the Bible tells us there is a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us. It's used as an encouragement to remain faithful as we go forward with the Lord. Uh, the Bible also tells us that when we get into places in our lives where we're not quite sure what we should be doing, that we are to look to our examples. For example, maybe you have a pastor or a Sunday school teacher, or maybe just somebody who's been highly influential in your spiritual life. They are to be looked to as an example to continue going forward. Now, the Bible also warns us that if we forget what God has done in the past, that we can be easily convinced that God is not doing anything in the present. And so I wanted to talk about these people to, be, uh, to maybe kind of hit all of those marks, to give us some examples, to give us a witness, and hopefully remind us of things that God has done before. Of course, we're going to talk about Scripture because that's the most important part of this process. There is no growing in faith if we are not expounding the Scriptures, if we're not reading the Scriptures, if we're not understanding the Scriptures. So the purpose here is to come to a text, to talk about it, to understand it, and then use this person from church history to kind of illustrate the ideas there and to help make some application for us. This morning, as you heard, or heard me say, we're going to be here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Let me read it for you. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So our text here is in Ephesians chapter 2, and the person I would like to talk about is a man by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. How many of you have heard that name before? All right. Well, he uh, was a Welsh preacher, died in 1981, mostly famous for the fact that he pastored Westminster Chapel in London for 30 years. Today, his, uh, his books and many of his sermons are almost standard reading in every seminary. Without being uh, using hyperbole, uh, he is considered uh, probably the most influential preacher of the 19th century, or of this, I'm sorry, of the 20th century, of this last, uh, last hundred years. He is considered the Charles Spurgeon, I guess you could say, of this last hundred years. Now, 
Uh, his popularity has actually grown over the 40 years since he's almost 40 years since he's died. Uh, it's led to the uh, formation of what is known as the Martin Lloyd Jones Trust. It's a website you can go to. Uh, you can get in touch with the resources. You can hear, actually, listen to him preach uh, with hundreds of uh, messages you can download for free. Now, in Ephesians, uh, the first three chapters are used to form uh, the argument for the last three chapters. Very uh, specific format that the apostle uses here. In the first three chapters, the theme or the idea is the riches of God's grace towards Christians, or the riches of God's grace towards the church. And at the center of this argument is our text. And so I want to go ahead and give you three points this morning. Number one, number one, the diagnosis, the diagnosis before salvation is death. The diagnosis before salvation is death. I want you to see the phrase in verse 8 there, are you saved? The idea is this is how you have been saved. And the Bible declares us as dead in our sins. That's what we're being saved from. Now that phrase, dead in our sins, really has two meanings. The first one is the idea that a current situation presupposes an outcome. So the idea is, is if you are in your sins and not in Christ, it presupposes that when you meet God face to face, the judgment is going to be death. Not a hard idea. You might think of a time when you were playing around with a spouse or a best friend, or not a spouse, a a sibling or a best friend, and maybe you broke something of mom's. It fell on the floor, and and now your sibling or your friend looks to you and says, when your mom finds out, you're what? You're dead. See, your current situation presupposes a future outcome. Or maybe you've had a test that you took, you got the, uh, the test back, you did very poorly, and you think to yourself, when mom and dad find out, I'm, I'm dead. Okay, so my current situation presupposes an outcome. So when the phrase dead in our sins is the idea that in our sins, our future is eternal death. Now that phrase also has the idea... Of, of a more literal sense, that we are in fact dead. It is the idea of asking a corpse to appreciate the beauty and the smell of a rose. Can a corpse do such a thing? No. So the idea is when the Bible calls us dead in our sins, it is that we don't have the ability to know the wonder and loveliness of God. We don't have the eyes to see, we don't have ears to hear, we don't have a mind that understands or a heart that wants to believe. We are, in this essence, in our nature, dead on arrival. And so that's the idea here, is that you and I, uh, when, uh, when we arrive on this earth, we're dead, as in that's our future, but we're also dead in the sense that our nature does not have a natural ability to know the things of God. And so our case is considered hopeless. We're dead. Now, long before he became a a pastor or a preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones had a love for horses. A young boy, he took care of horses. Uh, In fact, he would take them to the train station to be loaded. Uh, Some would be shown, others to be sold. But that's what he loved to do. And as a young boy, there wasn't a lot of drama in his life. His father owned a grocery store. Uh, He took care of most of their family's needs. But as he got almost to his teenage years, that grocery store burnt down and it caused financial ruin for his family. 
which now meant that Lloyd-Jones' future was entirely dependent on his academics. If he was going to go anywhere in life, he was going to have to do well in school. Well, he stood up to that pressure. He, He actually grew under that pressure and did so well academically that at the age of 16 was given an offer to study medicine at St. Bartholomew's. At 16. Now, despite its name, St. Bartholomew's was not a religious place. It was not a place uh, that talked about Christianity or religion. In fact, it was a place entirely dedicated to science and reason and logic. So there was no conversations about faith around him. Now, while Lloyd-Jones was there, he became well-known for his diagnostic abilities. In fact, he was so talented at it that the King of England's personal physician became his mentor. And he thrived under it. Now, when you get to know the king of England's personal physician, you get to know people. And so he began to rise socially. And he began to become more, he began, uh, became more popular uh, among the upper class. And then at the age of 23, he, went, he graduated from medical school. He studied uh, lymphoma and heart disease. Now, he'll tell you, that had he died in that time period of his life, he was dead meat. And as he rose through the social, uh, or as he rose up the social ladder, he was faced with new and different temptations. He was dead in his sins. But at age 23, like I said, he graduates from medical school. He becomes the youngest member of the Royal College of Physicians, and he gets to open his own practice on Harley Street. Now, I know that doesn't mean anything to you, But Harley Street in London was one of those places, so you had to be one of the most exclusive members of society to afford a doctor on Harley Street. And so here he was, he was thriving in his career, he is thriving socially, but he was dead in his sins. And the diagnosis for Lloyd-Jones, that he had died in that time, and the diagnosis of the future for him was death. That brings me to point number two. The remedy comes by grace and faith. The remedy comes by grace and faith. The text, verse 8, for by grace are you saved. It couldn't be any clearer. Now, verse 7 actually helps us understand this grace. I know we didn't read it, but it says that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, that being God, and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. The idea is that if you're a Christian, if you've come to believe in Christ, God did that in your life to show off the fact that he has an unending imagination on how to show kindness. I want you to think about it this way. If I asked you, how could somebody show you kindness, you might be able to come up with a few things. As I sat and thought about it, I thought of my years in ministry and At our last church, I had somebody who was constantly secretly buying me shoes. They would show up on my desk. About two weeks after I got here, a crockpot ended up in my office. And people, of course, over this time have have all slipped me a little money here and there. Now, over my time here, I can't tell you over the six years how many times a trustee has come to my house to fix something I've broken. My wife will make my favorite meals. My children will love on me in various ways. And the countless number of times my mom has answered the phone in the middle of the night to help me with a sick child. I have seen a lot of kindness in my life. 
But if you asked me, I would eventually run out of ideas. You would too. The idea here in the text is that God has an exceeding imagination when it comes to showing kindness. Of course, the best best example is that kindness in sending his son to save you. Now we have a very important word here, of course. By grace are you saved through faith. The word faith simply means to hear something, to believe it, and then to act upon it. So if you're a Christian this morning, at some point you heard the gospel. That Christ died for your sins and rose again from the dead. And you believed it. And then you acted upon it, saying that Christ did all the work that was necessary to save you, leaving you without any to do. And knowing that the grace that was needed to save you, all the grace needed to save you, came in the moment you had faith. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he attended church his entire life. Now, the reason that was true was because that was what was expected of members of polite society. It was a normal cultural example. But he would tell later in one of his books that he could not recall during this period of time ever hearing a good sermon, couldn't recall ever hearing the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't hear it, and it doesn't mean he never heard a good sermon. He would say it's because he didn't have the ears to hear it. Well, with his medical practice thriving and him making plenty of money as he was making more and more friends in the upper echelons of society, he began to listen to one Dr. John Hutton. Now, you could take out your phone. Don't do it now. But you could take out your phone and you could Google Dr. John Hutton. And it would take you a while to find him because nobody remembers him. But Martin Lloyd-Jones heard him preach And he says, under his preaching, he said, I finally became aware that I was not a Christian. And he goes further, he says, I became aware of the fact that I never was one. And I became aware of the fact that my sin needed a solution. And he says, and after I was converted and I went back to these members of high society, he realized the people he was hanging around with were all morally bankrupt. Now, later in his life, conversions of people who thought they were already Christian became a heavy burden for him. People that were just like him, perhaps who had gone to church their whole life, maybe it's because of family obligation or cultural heritage, he became burdened to see the conversion of those who thought they were Christians but, in fact, were not. It was a danger, a danger to think that everybody understood that the answer, the solution, was not anything other than grace through faith in Christ. That leads me to point number three. The new life is for good works. The new life is for good works. So we see here it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. And sometimes we read that and we stop there, but verse 10 is actually a continuation of the thought. It's a defining of our relationship. So by grace, we are saved through faith, and we become God's workmanship. We become a new creation in Christ for the purpose of good works. I know some are fond of saying that that means our salvation means something more than just fire insurance. The idea is in chapter 3, later on, the Paul, uh, Paul will explain that this wisdom, that God does this to put on display his wisdom to the created order. And so we get this phrase in verse 10, that God hath ordained 
that we should walk in them. It means to live in them. Now we have to acknowledge the contrast here because it's there. At the beginning of chapter 2, this is not how we are described. We are described as the kind of people who did what everybody else did. We are described as a people whose spirit is full of rebellion against what is good. We are described as people who are driven forward by the lusts of our flesh. We are the kind of people that everything that came up in our mind, whether it was good or evil, we just did it. We're carried about by how we feel, how we felt, what's going on around us. That's how we are described. But our salvation, this salvation by grace through faith in Christ, brings us to a re-sculpting by God. This re-sculpting to take on the image of Christ and thus put ourselves into work for good works. Now again, these good works are all things that have come out of God's mind. These are not things we are left to figure out. We are given good things to do. And the thing is... When we do those good things, lo and behold, we find that we are doing the good things that God has called us to do. Let me explain it this way. A friend of mine would say this. He said, well, after he became a Christian, he put away lying. That's a good work. Every Christian is called to put away lying. He says, when I put away lying, he, started, he said it radically changed his dating life. You see... He didn't have to hide. He didn't tell any untruths anymore. He didn't lie to the girl sitting across from him at the coffee shop. By putting away lying, which was a good work, he found himself over time sitting across from the woman he would marry. You see, the good work of putting away lying led to the good work of finding the woman he would marry. The good things that God has called us to do that are laid out in Scripture will lead us to the good things that God has called us to do. Now, in 1926, Martin Lloyd-Jones made two major decisions. The first one was to ask Beth Ann Phillips to marry him, and she agreed. The second one was to realize his calling to become a pastor. So, he married Beth Ann and took his first pastorate in southern Wales. Lloyd-Jones had carried a burden since his conversion that he didn't want to just treat people's physical ailments. He wanted to meet their more pressing need, their spiritual needs. Now, during his first ministry at this little church in South Wales, he saw the conversion of the literal town bully. But he also saw the conversion of two women he described as the sweetest old ladies he had ever met, who had gone to church their entire life, who thought they were Christians, but were not. But two years after he became pastor there, the most glorious moment he would describe was when Beth Ann realized that she had just been like him, who had gone to church her entire life, but had never been a Christian. After that, Lloyd-Jones saw the conversion of prostitutes, of mediums, of uh, upper-class members of society. And with every conversion, it was a confirmation to Lloyd-Jones that he was doing the good work that God had called him to do. Now, eventually, he does end up becoming pastor of Westminster Chapel. Now, as I was reading this week, you know, they had a tendency from time to time to think, you know what, pastoring during a pandemic is tough. It's been hard. And then I read about how to pastor during a Nazi blitzkrieg. When you never know when the bombs are going to fall. 
And in fact, the church had been hit three times. How do you decide when to have services? Now, thankfully, the church was never destroyed because of the great work of the London Fire Department. But Lloyd-Jones actually says the more difficult challenge was post-war Europe. You see, as these men came back from the front lines, there were a lot of ministries in London that began to set aside the more controversial positions of Christianity and even the gospel itself. But Lloyd-Jones stayed convicted, stayed sure of the gospel, and he watched his church grow while others shrank. Well, in 1968, he decided to retire. Although he never stopped working, he continued to preach and teach and and to speak all across Europe and even came to America a few times to do so. But about a year before he died, he was diagnosed with a terminal form of cancer. And he went to his pastor. He says, you know, by that point, he was already quite famous, was seen as one of the giants of the faith of his time had been involved in, in more than one international situation concerning uh, ministry. But he says to his pastor, no matter what, I want you to understand, he says, I'm a sinner that was saved by grace through faith in Christ. That, he said, is my legacy. And that I want you to be sure of when you preach my funeral. And on March 1st, 1981, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones died. There's could be there's so much more about his life. I have the official biography, I have an unofficial biography, I have a summation of his biography, and I've read them all. And there's a lot that we could talk about. And as I've said since his death, there's been a tremendous increase of interest in his work. Uh, again, every Bible college and seminary almost makes his work standard reading now. And when I met him in college, or when I began to read about him in college, he quickly became a hero to me. But His words were that he was a sinner saved by grace through faith in Christ. That was the amazing testimony of his life. No matter how famous he would ever get. The display of God's grace and wisdom towards him. The gift of God towards him. That was his amazing testimony. And the same is true for you and me. If you're a Christian today, it's because God has an immeasurable imagination in how to show kindness to people who do not deserve it and who do not ever earn it. Out of this kindness, he sent his son. Out of this kindness, Jesus paid for your sin. And if you, by grace through faith in Christ, are a Christian this morning, by his kindness, you have an unshakable hope and future. He's done a mighty work in you. And he is calling you to good works that come straight from his exceedingly great wisdom. And no matter what you and I do from this moment until we die, that will be the most amazing testimony. The gift of God towards us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example that we have. But more importantly, Father, we thank you for the truths that are found in this text. Lord, I hope that everyone within the sound of my voice has put their faith in Christ. By grace, Lord, they have been saved. For, Father, outside of that salvation, our diagnosis is death. The only treatment, Lord, is grace through faith in Christ. And I pray, Father, those of us who certainly know that we have trusted you who are Christians would go forward and do good works. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.